Okay, um, precious be to our loving Father that we are able to again gather together uh, to study His words and His commands. Welcome to another episode of the BQA. Tonight, we'll talk all about covenants. But before we do so, please uh, stand with us as we offer a prayer of thanksgiving. Everlasting Father, yes. Almighty Yahuwah Elohim, yes. we gather before your presence once again yes. to thank you, to praise you, to worship you. We believe our life and strength comes from you yes. and you have given us a purpose to fulfill. Amen. Help us to find that purpose out yes. and to fulfill them courageously, empowered by your spirit. Amen. Be with us in the study of your holy words yes. and our King Yahushua, we implore you, please be in our midst. Not only teach us your will, but also heal us of any sicknesses we may have that we may be able to continue to stand before you and fulfilling the will of Abba. Amen. Father, we believe that you will be with us today. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Okay, so tonight uh, we're going to talk about covenants. Now, covenants that is in the Holy Bible are plentiful. And the question that we're going to answer comes from a specific viewer, a regular viewer of our program, the BQA. And the question is as follows. Uh, good day, Po. Uh, this may be a little late, but I just want to ask how many covenants are there in the Bible? During the time when we were discussing the Ten Commandments, particularly the Sabbath, many who oppose it say that the Sabbath is obsolete, and some even include and mock the whole Ten Commandments, saying it is outdated. There is a verse where the Apostle Paul speaks and defends the Gentiles who don't want to be circumcised. I forget the verse title. I think the brethren are confused with differentiating the covenant from the Ten Commandments because it is also called the law or a contract between God and men in Israel. I've read and watched some covenant articles and I just want to confirm if these are true or not. I just want to make sure. Thank you so much and Yahuwah Abba bless you and the assembly. So again, thank you so much for the question that was submitted to the assembly. Now let's go ahead and take a look at some of the parts of the question that was asked. Uh, let's go ahead and look at the first part, which is how many covenants are there in the Bible? Of course, before we answer directly this question, we need to know first what is the meaning of covenant. The word covenant in question in Hebrew actually means, or it comes from the word um, berit, uh, which means a covenant, an alliance, a pledge. It could be between men and men, God and men. And when you look at Strong's definition on the left, it has a sense of cutting, and there's a reason why that is. We'll talk about that a little later on. And it may be, it, it, it also is a compact uh, because it's made, uh, made by passing between pieces of flesh. And again, we'll talk about that a little later on. So basically, a covenant is, in a, is an agreement between two or more parties. And this is an agreement that two parties voluntarily enter into so it's basically a relationship it's an agreement to have a relationship this relationship is between two or more parties and the terms of that agreement is are the requirements of that agreement certain um, commands or certain pr principles that the, the two parties are going to agree upon and a promise is also included in a covenant a promise or an oath made by one or more of the parties, and there are rewards or consequences based on those promises and also based 
on the terms of the agreement when the covenant has been made. Now, the word um, covenant, like we said, comes from the Greek, the Greek, the Hebrew word beri, which is covenant, and it's closely related to the word barut, which means meat. And so when we look at covenant and meat, we come up with the process of how people made covenants in ancient times. It is through the cutting of flesh. This is why oftentimes when people make covenant, they call it cutting a covenant because the process during the ancient times when people made covenants with each other included what, as, what is as follows. In the book of Jeremiah 34, 18 to 20, and I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead body shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth. So this was the process of cutting a covenant. There are two parties who engage in covenant. And what they do is they get an animal, they cut it into two, and they put it in two different piles, two different places, and they walk between the parts of it. And so it kind of looks like this. You have the animal cut in two, and you put them in different places. And the two people who are engaging in the covenant they walk into what is likened to a figure eight. And the reason why they walk around the, the pieces of flesh that were cut is as they walk between these pieces of flesh that were cut, what they're basically saying is, I pledge allegiance and loyalty to the terms of the covenant so that if I break the terms of the covenant, I'm willing to be cut like the flesh that is here. So it's a kind of strange way of making a commitment to the covenant or to the agreement between two parties. So that's what a covenant is as represented in the Old Testament. There are many different kinds of covenants. For example, a marriage is a kind of a covenant. Peace treaties that you make with an enemy, friendships that you want to honor, these can be all made into a covenant. However, when we look at the question, how many covenants are there in the Bible? I think the one asking question is specifically wanting to know the different kinds of covenants that Yahuwah has made with people because that's the most important kind of covenant of all when Yahuwah wants to have a relationship with people through a covenant. So the one thing we need to understand about covenants is it is Yahuwah's way of inviting people to have a relationship with him. That's the whole purpose and point of a covenant. So how many covenants are there in the Holy Bible. How many covenants have Yahuwah made with people in general? And according to the one asking the question, I've read and watched some covenant articles and I just want to confirm if these are true or not. I just want to make sure. And so the person then directs us to a website. I think it's a YouTube page. And when you watch the YouTube, it tells you there are basically eight uh, covenants that Yahuwah has made according to scripture. One is the Edenic covenant, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, which we talked about before, the Davidic covenant, 
and then the new cabinet. This is uh, from the video that was created by Red Creative. It's on the YouTube. And, you know, it's, I think, very instructional to watch the video. I have nothing against the video. And so let's go ahead and explore it and look into it to see whether or not it is actually biblical. So let's begin with the Edenic covenant. What is this all about? In the book of Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what we read there is about the creation of man and woman. They were given a special creation because when they were created, Yahuwah says, let us make man in our image. So we were created in the image of our loving father. In what sense are we to exercise the image of Yahuwah Abba? In terms of following his example of holiness and love and also when it comes to having dominion you see yahuwah has dominion over all things created in heaven man that's you and i including woman right we have been created to have dominion over the earth that's the covenant that yahuwah wants to make with people they were created by yahuwah in his image so that they will have dominion over everything on planet earth now of course in genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and 3 the word covenant but it's not actually there but when we look at what is expected from mankind and the stipulations of what yahuwah requires from them the, we have all the makings of a covenant this is why in the book of psalms 8 verse 6 the bible says you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. So man was created for the purpose of having dominion over the earth. He is to rule over the earth. And what stipulation was given? What were the terms of the agreement that Jehovah God would create them in his image so that they would rule over the earth? That's the promise. Jehovah will bless them on the earth. What is the stipulation, the terms of the agreement? The book of Genesis 2, 15 and 17. Then Yahuwah took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And Yahuwah God commanded the man, saying, every, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the, Yahuwah gives man, Adam and Eve, the command that you can eat anything from the from the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but we know what happened to adam and eve they broke the covenant they broke the agreement and so instead of being allowed to remain in paradise which is what the garden of eden is what would happen to them in the book of genesis 317 to 19, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, 
saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so because Adam and Eve broke the terms of the covenant, they ate from the forbidden tree, or they ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what was the decree of Yahuwah Abba? They were cursed, they were removed and exiled from the Garden of Eden, and they were appointed to die, and also appointed hardship on earth, so that for them to eat, it must come from hard work, from the sweat of their face. And so this was the first covenant that Yahuwah God made with his people. We know it was broken. They were removed from the Garden of Eden. However, Yahuwah does not give up on mankind. It's a good thing he doesn't. And proof of that is he establishes another covenant, which is number two on the list here. It's called the Adamic covenant. Now, what is this all about? Now, after Adam and Eve were exiled, Yahuwah does give a promise and a hope of redemption. Genesis 3 verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so there is the promise of redemption because remember Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of where? Paradise. What is the work of redemption? To bring human beings back to paradise. They were supposed to be rulers over the earth, but what happened to them? Because of their sin, they were removed from paradise, and now it's very difficult for them to have dominion over the earth. But Yahuwah does not give up on mankind because of his love and compassion. He initiates now the process of restoration, beginning with a promise that he makes to the couple. Yahuwah says, her seed. Who is that in reference to? We've studied this before. We know that is, in, that is referring to the promised one, the anointed one, who is that? Mashiach Yahushua. He shall bruise your head. He will defeat Satan. And although Satan will bruise his heel because he'll be crucified, but using crucifixion as a tool, Yahushua, the Mashiach, would prevail and he would crush the serpent on his head. And so the, the one referred to there is Yahushua. Yahushua was promised back then in the very beginning to Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, because of Yahushua and the plan, the master plan of Yahuwah concerning Yahushua, what can we expect? What were they expecting? Let's read the book of Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly 
man. When Yahuwah God created Adam and Eve, Yahuwah said, let us create man in our image. But they were not able to fulfill and in their life the image of Yahuwah because of their sin. And so they were taken out of the garden. But Yahuwah's plan is through this man. His name is Yahusha. And he's also called the last Adam. And so through the last Adam, through Yahusha, what can we achieve? We shall bear the image of the heavenly man. We shall bear the image of the Son of God who has the image of Yahuwah. And so we can go back to the original plan and intent of Yahuwah upon creation to bear the image of God. This time, we're going to bear the image of Yahuwah through the image of our king, Yahusha, being the last Adam. So that's the Adamic uh, covenant. And so after that, we all know that Yahuwah God provided the means for Adam and his descendants to worship him. The law was given to them, although not written, but orally. And so they began to practice worship, knowing what to sacrifice and what not to sacrifice, which is why we see the difference between the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. So one followed the teachings, the others, the other did not follow the teaching. But eventually, mankind would sin grievously against Yahuwah, right? In fact, violence and wickedness and the imaginations of men became wicked through and through to the point that eventually Yahuwah had to destroy the whole planet Earth by means of the flood, which leads us to our next covenant, the no Noahic covenant now what is that all about book of genesis 9 8 down to 11 and god spoke to noah and to his sons with him saying and as for me uh, behold i establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds the cattle and every beast of the earth with you of all that go out of the ark every beast of the earth thus i establish my covenant with you never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth and so after destroying the earth with a flood yahuwah declares a covenant with noah not just with noah but with his descendants all mankind but also all creatures what did yahuwah say in this covenant he said i will never again destroy all flesh through a flood, never again will he destroy the whole earth through a flood. Now, why did Yahuwah God establish this covenant? By this covenant, Yahuwah would, rel would relent. He would restrict himself from destroying the earth because of sin. Because if the earth were destroyed again, then the plan of redemption would not be unfolding. It would not be completed. It would not unfold. You see, for the plan of redemption to be completed, the earth has to be there. For the plan of salvation to be carried out to its completion, there has to be sufficient time. And so Yahuwah creates this covenant that he will not destroy the earth. He will not destroy living creatures, including human beings, in the same way he destroyed planet earth with a flood so that his work of redemption can be carried out. However, when it's already carried out, before the new heavens and the new earth will come, what will Yahuwah do? The book of 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so when the plan of salvation through the, the last Adam, Yahusha, has been completed, and the new heavens and the new earth is ready to, to be received, so that we can again be restored to paradise. What would Yahuwah do? He'll destroy the old heaven, the first heaven, and the first earth by means of fire, not flood, because that would mean Yahuwah would break his covenant. And so he would destroy the entire planet, not with a flood, but with fire. However, the whole purpose of the Noahic covenant is for the purpose of restraining himself not punishing so much the earth as it deserves to be completely destroyed, not giving enough time for the unfolding of Yahuwah's plan of redemption that was revealed to Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. So that's the Noahic covenant. How about the Abrahamic covenant? What is that all about? Let's read the book of Genesis 12, 1 down to 3. Now Yahuwah had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you a, your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Yahuwah has a plan of redemption through Yahushua. That's his ultimate plan, the master plan, the promised seed. However, for this master plan to, to, to be carried out to its completion, he needs people, right? He needs people. So he needs to choose people. And so he decides to, to create a covenant with his friend, Abram, who would become Abraham. And so what does he say to, what does he say to Abram? He is the chosen one of Yahuwah from which the promise seed would come from. This is why Yahusha is called the seed of Abraham, right? And so he chooses him and makes a covenant with him. In this covenant, what does it include? Promises. And these are awesome, awesome promises. It's a threefold promise to Abraham. What is promise number one? He'll be given land. What is promise number two? He would become a great nation. In other words, his descendants would become numerous. What is promise number three? His descendants would be the means by which the families of the earth would be blessed. This is the covenant that he made with Abram or Abraham. Now, when Yahuwah gives these promises to Abram, what was his response? In Genesis 15, 1 to 2, after these things, the word of Yahuwah came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And so Abram is wondering, how is Yahuwah God going to fulfill his promise that I will be 
a father of many nations when he doesn't have a child. And so he's asking Yahuwah, is it going to be through Eliezer, my servant? And so what was Yahuwah's response to that question? Three down to six. Then Abram said, look, uh, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of Yahuwah came to him saying, this one, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Who is that? Who would that be? The promised son, Isaac. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in Yahuwah. And he counted it to him for righteousness. And so when Abram Ask Yahuwah, how am I going to receive those blessings when I have no child? Yahuwah says, you're going to have a child from your own body, your own heir. And from him, you will have many descendants. And what was the response of Abram? This is an important point, brothers and sisters. What was his response? Bible says he believed. He had faith. See, that's the power of faith. Because of the faith of Abraham, the Bible says he counted him righteous. This is called imputation. Even though Abraham had many sins, Yahuwah made him righteous. He counted him righteous because of his faith, because he believed in Yahuwah and the promise that he made him. And so this promise based on the covenant was given to Abram. Abram believed, right? And so what was the proof that Yahuwah was going to deliver on his promise? Let's read Genesis 15, 7 to 11. Then he said to him, I am Yahuwah who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all of them, all of these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so when Abram asked, how will I know that I will inherit all of this, right? I mean, he has faith, but how will he know it? And then Abram was given the instruction to bring a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and pigeons. What happens to those animals? They're cut in two, right? And after they're cut in two in the middle, they're placed opposite of each other. Does this remind you of something? It should remind you of Jeremiah 34, 18, and 20, right? When the pieces that were cut is taken in opposite places and there's going to be two who are going to be walking to establish what a covenant yahuwah in response to the question of abram how will i know i will inherit all this yahuwah is establishing a covenant with abram this is why he wants all these animals to be cut in half down the middle but there's something strange here. What is that? In Genesis 15, 12, 
Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and darkness fell upon him. What was the unusual part about this covenant that Yahuwah was making with Abram? When Yahuwah had all these, the, the, the flesh cut in two and placed opposite each other, and as they were about to walk to complete the covenant, what happened to Abram? A deep sleep fell upon Abram. What does that mean? He won't be able to walk, right? He won't be able to walk. How can you walk when you are sleeping? And so what happened after Abram wakes up? Let's read uh, 17 and 21. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So Yahuwah made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And so what did Abram see when the sun went down and darkness fell? He saw the manifestation of Yahuwah's presence in terms of the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. And what was it doing? It was making the rounds. It was walking. It was passing between the halves of the carcasses. In other words, in this covenant that Yahuwah made with Abram, it was not bilateral. It was unilateral. In other words, Yahuwah was making the terms of the covenant, and he's agreeing to the terms of the covenant without requiring anything from Abraham. It's called an unconditional covenant. And so there's no way this covenant will not be fulfilled because it is unconditional. It's dependent entirely upon Yahuwah's integrity. And we know when it comes to integrity, Yahuwah does not lie. He cannot lie. He speaks the truth. And so the covenant he's making with Abraham at this point is an everlasting covenant, one that cannot be rescinded because it's dependent entirely upon him. And notice in this covenant that Yahuwah God makes, it also tells us the kind of land he's going to inherit according to the, the modern places associated with these names, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites. If you were to do the calculation, the landmass to be given to Abraham according to the promise of Yahuwah Abba to him is the one depicted in green. That's a pretty large mass. That's how much Abraham is to inherit. That's really the promised land. And when Yahuwah made this covenant with Abram, what did he also say? In verse uh, 17, 4 to 8, this is my covenant with you. I will make you, you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants 
it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. And so God basically tells Abraham, the covenant I made with you, it's everlasting. It's unconditional. It can be counted upon. This is why we're going to go back to this covenant that Yahuwah God made with Abraham, because it's part of Yahuwah's plan of redemption for the history of mankind. So that's the Abrahamic covenant, number four. After the Abrahamic covenant, of course, we have the Mosaic covenant. And what is the Mosaic covenant about? In the book of Exodus 19, five to eight, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them Yahuwah had commanded him. And all the peoples responded together, we will do everything Yahuwah has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to Yahuwah. What is the Mosaic covenant about? It's basically fulfilling what Yahuwah intended to do with Abraham when he chose him to be the carrier of the fulfillment of the promise. The promised seed is going to come from that family of Abraham. However, what would eventually happen to the family of Abraham? They would be enslaved in Egypt. But Yahuwah is still working out his plan. And so what does he do? He sets them free from Egypt to become a nation. Because at that point in Egypt, they grew so much. Perhaps a population of about 2 million, perhaps even more. And so they were millions in number. And so they've become a nation. And now Yahuwah is going to use a nation to showcase his holiness. And so he makes a covenant with Moses. He makes a covenant with the people of Israel. What does Yahuwah God want to do with his nation, Israel? The Bible says Yahuwah wants them to be his own special treasure. Yes, the whole world, all people belong to Yahuwah. But he wants to demonstrate holiness through Israel. This is why they were given the priesthood. The Bible says it will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And so they were given the law. They were given the priesthood. What does that reveal? It reveals the holiness of Yahuwah Abba, the standard of holiness of Yahuwah Abba. And so when Yahuwah gave the commands, they entered into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And of course, Israel agreed to enter into that relationship because they said to Moses, tell Yahuwah Abba, we will do everything Yahuwah has commanded. So there was this covenant now with the people of Israel. Now, what were the terms of the covenant? Exodus 31, 18, when Yahuwah finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. What were the terms of the covenant that Yahuwah God has made with his people Israel? What was it? The Ten Commandments. That was the standard of holiness, even during the New Testament. How can we determine what sin is? Sin is the breaking of the commandments. 
Yahuwah God gave 10 commandments. Although the commandments of Yahuwah God were already known from the days of Adam and Eve to through the days of Abraham, it was only during the days of Moses was it written down. It was codified during the days of Moses. What does that mean? It's the intention of Moses. It's the intention of Yahuwah through Moses and through Israel for the people of the world to know and to obey the commandments of Yahuwah. Because what he wanted to do in his work of redemption is to bring people to Israel so that they would recognize the commandments of Yahuwah because that's the standard of his holiness. And so when it comes to the terms of the covenant, if it is fulfilled, that's good. But if it's broken, not good. You see, there's a big difference between the covenant that Jehovah God made with Abraham and the one he made with Moses. What is that? The one he makes with Moses is conditional. Abraham, unconditional. With Moses, it is conditional. And it's conditional according to the terms of the covenant. And so for those who obey and for those who disobey, what are the rewards and consequences? In the book of Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 2, if you fully obey Yahuwah your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, Yahuwah your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey Yahuwah your God. But if you refuse to listen to Yahuwah your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today. All these curses will come and overwhelm you. And so it's a conditional covenant. It depends on whether or not the people will obey or disobey. If they obey, they will receive the blessings that Yahuwah mentions in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you read 28, it includes the blessings for those who obey and the curses for those who disobey and so Israel when they entered into a covenant relationship with Yahuwah it required them to obey the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Abba for them to be blessed by him and so Yahuwah wants them to obey the commands however what would eventually happen to the people of Israel in the book of 2nd Kings this is what it says so Yahuwah was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence, only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of Yahuwah their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, Yahuwah rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. And so when Yahuwah revealed by the written law, the standard of Yahuwah's holiness, and Israel failing to meet that standard. In fact, they became unfaithful to him, committing idolatry, breaking the Sabbath, disregarding the commands of Yahuwah. What did Yahuwah eventually decree? Bible says he became angry with Israel. He became angry with Judah and he removed them from his presence and both would be conquered by Assyria and Babylon respectively and so because it was a conditional covenant because they disobeyed the terms of the covenant Yahuwah removed them from his presence but we know Yahuwah God has a plan 
and this plan he gave to Abraham and it was unconditional and so because the conditional covenant he made with Israel through Moses failed how would he now meet the unconditional agreement and promise he made with Abraham ah this is why we have the next covenant what is that called the Palestinian covenant although the word Palestine is not there obviously it's called the Palestinian covenant it's actually called the land covenant and what is this all about why is this a separate and different covenant in Deuteronomy 29:1, these are the words of the covenant which Yahuwah commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Horeb represents Mount, what Mount? Horeb is Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, he established a covenant through Moses, right? In addition to that, he also had a covenant that he made with his people Israel there in Moab. Moab is not the same as Sinai. Moab is where they were at before they entered the promised land. And so they're about to enter the promised land. And Yahuwah is making a covenant with Israel because Yahuwah knows that Israel is going to break the terms of the covenant. And one of the punishments of the terms of the covenant when they break it is they will be scattered to different places and the king would be removed, right? They will no longer be a people of Israel or a people of Judah. Those are the terms, those are the curses, the punishments for disobeying the terms of the covenant that Yahuwah God made with Israel there in Horeb, in Mount Sinai. Yahuwah God knows this. And so before they enter the promised land, Yahuwah says, I'm going to make another covenant with you. And it's basically a re-emphasis of the covenant he made with Abraham, which was what again? Unconditional. Okay. So now he says this to Israel before they enter the promised land. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where Yahuwah God drives you. Want to pause it for a while? Yahuwah God is basically telling the people of Israel, hey, I made a covenant with you in, or in Horeb, in Mount Sinai. Guess what? You're going to break all of them. <laughs> and you're going to be driven out by my hand. You're going to be scattered. This is why Yahuwah God is making another covenant. And in, in verse 2, and you return to Yahuwah your God and obey his voice. According to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and all your soul, that Yahuwah your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where Yahuwah your God has scattered you. And so Yahuwah is giving a promise. Yes, they'll be scattered because it's a conditional promise, a conditional covenant with, with Moses. But despite that, Yahuwah makes another covenant, the so-called Palestinian covenant or land covenant. And according to this covenant, after captivity, they're going to learn the lesson. And Yahuwah is going to bring them back to their land. Now, one might say, well, that was fulfilled after the captivity, when the people of Israel left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. It was fulfilled in small part. But the, 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 the gist of it, the big fulfillment of this prophecy and this promise that Yahuwah, has, Yahuwah God has made here in Moab is yet to be fulfilled. In fact, when will it be fulfilled? 
If you read verse 1, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. We know that the people of Israel were cursed again after they rejected the Messiah. This is why they were sent into captivity again in 70 AD after they rejected the Messiah. And so the punishments had to be meted out. And so the fulfillment, in the full fulfillment of the land covenant, Palestinian covenant, is yet to be fulfilled. What proves that? In verses 4 down to 5, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there Yahuwah your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then Yahuwah your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And so in Yahuwah's covenant here in Moab that he makes with his people Israel, he's basically telling the people of Israel after the captivity, there's going to be a regathering of the descendants of Abraham. And they're going to be gathered together in the land, of course, is Israel, and it's going to prosper, it's going to multiply, and at last, the promise he made to Abraham will be fulfilled. Remember when Israel went to the promised land during the, the reign of King Solomon, which is when they were at their peak. When you look at the yellow, that's the landmass they occupied. But the promise, according to what Yahuwah God said to Abraham, is depicted by green, the green parts. You notice there's a big difference, right, between the green and the yellow, which tells us when Israel became Israel during the reign of King Solomon, it was not the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. But remember, it is unconditional. Yahuwah is going to fulfill it. So when do you think this is going to happen? When do you think that's going to happen? Did that happen after the captivity? No. Did that happen when Yahushua was here on earth? No. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's going to happen during the millennial reign when Yahushua will be the king and his center will be Jerusalem. What else proves the covenant that Yahuwah God made in Deuteronomy 30 will be completely fulfilled in the millennium? 30 verse 6, And Yahuwah your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love Yahuwah your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And so the circumcision of the heart, that is part of the work during the new covenant, so this will take place after the new covenant has been administered, okay? What else? Verses In verse 7, also Yahuwah, your God, will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And so this is yet to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled in the future. We believe during the millennial reign when Yahusha will be king. Now, when it says Yahusha will be king, it actually speaks of another covenant, right? We talked about number six. What's number seven? It's called the Davidic covenant. And just like the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant had a partial but incomplete fulfillment of the promises, and it will have a later, more complete fulfillment in, in Yahusha. How so? Let's look at the Davidic covenant. Second Samuel, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Let's pause there for a while. Who is Yahuwah speaking to you? 
David, David, he says, I will raise up your offspring, an offspring of David to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who was that? Well, actually, part of it initially was Solomon, right? He's speaking of Solomon in the first part of verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name. But eventually, that house will become a kingdom. And that name will become the name of Yahusha. And that kingdom will reign forever. But it will start with Solomon. Because Solomon will be the one to complete the temple that bears the name of Yahuwah. You see the blending of the, the near fulfillment and the far fulfillment? Oftentimes prophecies have that nature. It's like a mixing of what is going to happen soon and what will happen in the far future. We have that here in verse 13 and 14. He says, I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men. The flogging is inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so Yahuwah makes a covenant with David that from his offspring, there will be someone, they will sit in his throne forever. And we know this was fulfilled in who? It was fulfilled in Yahusha. Initially, it was fulfilled in Solomon. But of course, Solomon would eventually fail. And the kingdom given to Solomon would not last. In fact, Judah and Israel would not last. But the prophecy and the promise of the Davidic covenant is an everlasting throne with a son of David sitting on it. And so how would that be fulfilled? Luke 1, 30, 33. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Yahusha. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so who would become the son of David who would sit on the throne to be king over Israel forever? It would be our king, Yahusha. And so the Davidic covenant was a covenant Yahuwah made with David to ensure there's going to be a lasting king. Because we know what would happen to the kingdom and to Israel. The kingdom, the throne would be gone. The people would be gone. The land would be gone because of the conditional covenant through Moses. But because of the unconditional covenant with Abraham, Yahuwah has something else that he's planning to satisfy and fulfill the unconditional covenant with Abraham. This is why he's going to figure out a way to satisfy the needs of the covenant he made with Moses, because that's important. Because what was revealed and emphasized in the ministry of Moses is the standard of holiness. Holiness with Yahuwah. Yahuwah was not going to downgrade that. And at the centerpiece of that holiness, that standard of holiness, are the Ten Commandments. And Yahuwah is not going to downgrade that, right? Just to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. No, he has a better plan. 
And what is that better plan? That better plan is the next covenant, the new covenant. And what is that new covenant all about? Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Yahusha took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take heat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so for the standard of holiness to be met, that standard of holiness, the Ten Commandments, that Yahuwah codified into written law during the ministry of Moses under the first covenant. For that to be met, what was initiated by Yahusha, the new covenant through his blood, through his death. Now, how does the blood and death of Yahusha satisfy the standard of holiness that was set forth by Yahuwah that must be met so that people can have a right relationship with Yahuwah and be with him forevermore. Hebrews 9, 12 down to 15. Not with the shed, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the blood the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance see the only way for people like you and i to get back to what we were and become image bearers of yahuwah we have to be holy we have to be holy when yahuwah god created man and said to man i want you to be in my image what he was referring to was the image of love and holiness but because we failed over the years Yahuwah is working out his plan and it culminated with Moses with the written law that tells us how we can be holy the Ten Commandments but then as human beings we fall short right here is the master plan the promised seed what what happened to the promised seed he's gonna die but because of his death and shed blood what does he purchase for us eternal redemption what does that mean? It means we will become holy in the eyes of Yahuwah. So we satisfy, we meet the needs of holiness that Yahuwah revealed is really needed during the ministry of Moses. Satisfied by who? Yahushua. Now in Yahushua, what do we receive as a promise of the new covenant? It is the promise of eternal inheritance. This is why the new covenant is so precious to all of us. It is a covenant that is given through our King, Yahusha. So now we have the covenants, right? Those are the eight covenants that is revealed in the Holy Scriptures and they all interlock with each other and are related with each other. And its purpose is for us to be redeemed so that we can again, Go back to Yahuwah's initial plan, which is for us to be rulers, right? If you look at number one, 
what Yahuwah intended was for us to have dominion over the earth. But we lost that right, basically, because of our sin. And now Yahuwah is restoring that. But I want you to notice that in Yahuwah's plan, beginning there in the garden, in uh, creation, Yahuwah says, you are in my image. And so Yahuwah God expects man to live a holy life and to have dominion over the earth. But he, this, he uh, ruins that because he commits sin and transgresses the terms of the covenant. Yahuwah has a plan of redemption by revealing the promised seed, right? Number two. Number three, Yahuwah God promises he will give enough time for this promise to be fulfilled. And then Abe, Yahuwah God, in fulfilling the promise of redemption, he needs to choose people. He chooses who? Abraham, because he needs to communicate this plan and he chooses a family. From that family comes a nation. It's called Israel. Now that Israel is now a nation, Yahuwah's teachings can become more formal and official. It is codified into written law. And when so, in so doing, it reveals to us the standard of God's holiness. But failure to meet that standard according to the covenant, which is conditional, would mean they would be scattered in different places. This is why there's a Palestinian covenant, the promise of return to their land to be fulfilled in the millennium. And the king will be restored, and he will be from the, 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 uh, the loins or from the seed of David. This is why Yahusha is not only called the seed of Abraham, he's also called the son of David. Okay, And this all begins with a new covenant that Yahusha will, be, will initiate when he, when he is killed and he shed blood establishes the new covenant. But what is the common denominator? Why do we have all these covenants in the first place? There's only one reason why we have all these different covenants. You know what it is? Because of our failures as human beings. When you look at these covenants, every single covenant, it's there because of the response the covenants are the responses of Yahuwah's love and compassion to his people's weaknesses and failures so that people, his people, can be restored to paradise. That's why you have those covenants. It's an expression of Yahuwah's love for his people despite their failures. It's Yahuwah's ongoing work of redemption so that we who are imperfect can become his sons and daughters to be with him forevermore in the heavenly kingdom okay so that's the purposes of those covenants now let's go back to our last question during the time when we were discussing the ten commandments particularly the sabbath many who oppose it say that the sabbath is obsolete and some even include and mock the whole ten commandments saying it is outdated i think the brethren are confused with differentiating the covenant from the ten commandments because it is also called the law or a contract between god and man in Israel. That's good insight. And in fact, I think it's true. The reason why there are people today who reject the Ten Commandments and therefore reject the Sabbath is because they say we have a new covenant. And so because there's a new covenant, there's a new law. The Ten Commandments is no longer the law that we are supposed to fulfill to become righteous and holy before God anymore. It's a different law. And so that's the argument that is posed there, which I think is true. Because let's ask ourselves the question, does the new covenant, which is what we are under in now, right? Does the new covenant mean we have a new law? 
What do you think? Does a new covenant mean having a new law? No. What's the proof of that? In the book of Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'm going to pause it for a while. Here in Ezekiel, it's talking about Yahuwah's intent and plan and purpose to create a new covenant with Judah and Israel. And in this new covenant, Yahuwah God says, I will put a new spirit in them and give them an undivided heart. I will remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be there gone. And so according to the prophets, does the new covenant mean a new law? No. What does the new covenant mean? The new covenant gives people a heart and a new spirit so they can carefully keep the same laws. The laws doesn't change, but the willingness in the heart does under the new covenant. Ezekiel again, 36, 26, 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove uh, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Again, the Bible speaking about the new covenant that he will establish with people, the new covenant through Yahushua. And in the new covenant through Yahushua, is it a change of the laws? No, it's a change in a desire in the heart. There's gonna be that new desire through the spirit. The spirit will move the person under the new covenant to be careful in keeping the laws, same laws, the 10 commandments, not different, but the desire to obey them will be different, okay? But there are those who point to Hebrews seven twelve. for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So there are those who cite Hebrews seven twelve and say, look, because we are in a new covenant, there's a change in the law. Now, here's my question. Give me a law in the New Testament that's not found in the Old Testament. Give me a law. In the New Testament, that's not found in the Old Testament. There's none, right? This is why there's no new law. And so when it comes to this statement here, a change in the law, does that mean there's a change in the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah? No. What's the proof? Let's look at the Greek word of change. Because when you look at the Greek in Hebrews 7, 12, it mentions change. The Greek word used for change is metathesis. What is the meaning of change? Also the law, which is metathesis. The word metathesis means a transfer from one place to another, a transfer, a transferal. The change spoken of there is a transfer of the law. Why is there a need for a transfer of the law? Let's look at the context, Hebrews 7, 11 and 12. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And so why is there a need for a change, which again means what? A transfer of the law. 
right? Why is there a need for a transfer of the law? When it says in verse 12, a change in the priesthood, it also means transfer. It's the same Greek word, metthesis. So a transfer in the priesthood means there's a transfer in the law. Well, why is there a transfer in the priesthood? Because Yahushua in the new covenant, who becomes the high priest, is not of the Levitical priesthood because he's not a descendant of Aaron, right? What order is his priesthood? Melchizedek. And so there was a transfer of the priesthood. In other words, there's a transfer of the administration of the new covenant. There's a new administrator in the covenant. Who is that? Yahusha. There's a transfer in the priesthood. Because of that, there's need to be a transfer of the law. And so it's the same law, but different administration. Yahusha carrying out the law as the high priest, he is now administering the covenant, but the same law is at the forefront and the basis of the services and the work of the people of God. Now, why is there a need to, uh, to have a different administration? Why is there a need for Yahusha to be the administrator or mediator of a covenant? Let's go to Hebrews 8 and the verses 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which he has established on better promises. Why was there a need for Yahusha to become a mediator or an administrator of the new covenant? Because the new covenant is a better one. What makes it a better covenant? What does it say? Why is the new covenant a better covenant? Because it has better promises, not because it has new laws or better laws. You see, the difference between the new covenant and the prior covenant are better promises, not better laws. It's the same law, but better promises. Because the law that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments that were given to the people of God in the past, how did the Bible consider them? In the book of Deuteronomy, do not add anything to what I command you and do not take anything away. Obey the commands of Yahuwah your God that I have given you. They're perfect already. Now, why would Yahusha change it? Why would Yahusha change it because he was appointed the administrator or mediator of the new covenant? It's the same law. Because if you add to or subtract from the Ten Commandments, what is that called? It's called sin. Is Yahusha going to be an administrator of sin? No way. It's the same law, new administrator. It's the same law, but better promises. Now, why do we say it's better promises? Let's keep reading. Hebrews 8, 7 to 9. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Okay, so the Bible says the first covenant, speaking about, of course, the covenant that Jehovah God made through Moses, Bible says it was fault. If it was faultless, there was no need for a second. There was no need for Yahusha to establish a, a better covenant, right? But it did have a fault. You know that? So it means there was a fault in the covenant. Here's my question. Where is the fault lying? What is the fault? Is it the law? Is there something wrong with the law? No. Yahuwah's laws are perfect. What's wrong 
with the first covenant. What was at fault with the first covenant? Let's keep reading. Because finding fault with them. So where was the fault? Not with the laws, but with the people. What was at fault with the people? What was faulty with the people? Which is why the first covenant needed to, be a, to become a better covenant with better promises. He says, behold, the days are coming, says Yahuwah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I want to pause it for a while. Take note, this covenant is made with Judah and Israel, or Israel in totality, right? This is why the church or the assembly, we are grafted into Israel through Yahushua. This is why if you say, I'm not part of Israel, wait a minute, you're, you're saying you're not part of the covenant. For us to be a part of the covenant people, we have to be in Yahushua. Because if we are in Yahushua, we're seed of Abraham and we're grafted into Israel. So we need uh, Yahushua to be a part of the covenant. Because the covenant being made here, the new covenant, right? The new covenant is for Israel and Judah, okay? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says Yahuwah. So what was faulty about the first covenant? The people. What was wrong with the people? They were stubborn. And so they could not continue in the covenant. Because they broke the covenant, what had to happen? Yahuwah had to disregard them, and so they were punished. Do you see why there's a need for a covenant with better promises? And so what is the covenant the new covenant with better promises. Let's keep reading, 10 and 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahuwah. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them will teach, shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, no Yahuwah for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And so what is the new covenant with better promises is all about? What will Yahuwah do to find a solution to the fault in the people? Maybe Yahuwah is gonna lower his standards. Is that what he did? Is Yahuwah gonna change his law? I'm going to make it easier. <laughs> I'm going to remove certain laws. Maybe I'm going to remove that command about the Sabbath. I'm going to remove that command about killing. I'm going to remove that command about being a true witness. Is that what he was going to do? No. He says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Do you see what Yahuwah God did there? When Yahuwah God says he will write them in the mind, and in the hearts, Yahuwah is going to plant a desire in them. They will want to obey the commands of Yahuwah. So instead of having them written on tablets of stone, it will be written in their hearts. And it was also part of the promise of the new covenant and the new, uh, yeah, the new covenant or the new testament. Bible says, none of them shall teach his neighbor because everyone will know it. That part of the covenant, the promise, hasn't been fulfilled yet. Why? Because we are still in our flesh. We still have our old bodies. New covenant, old body. 
We still groan in this old body. But eventually, what's going to happen? We're going to be given new glorious bodies. In that new glorious body, guess what? Everyone who has that glorious body, they will not need to be taught. They will know it automatically. All the laws and the commands, and they will seek and desire to obey those commands. That's the better promises. It's not a changing of the law, but a changing in the desire in your heart to want to obey and keep the laws of Yahuwah. Uh, but this is why it's wrong to say new covenant, new law. No, new covenant, same law, better promises, new administrator. Who is that? Yahusha, who through our union with him has satisfied for us the requirement for righteousness and holiness so that we can be free, so that we can desire with all of our heart to obey the laws. This is why in Yahusha, we don't, we, we don't say we must obey the law. No, we get to obey the law because it comes from our heart. There's a big difference there. Okay, so when we look at the covenants, right, it started out with in the first. If you notice, when you look at the first five covenants, Yahuwah started in number two to reveal his plan of restoration and in that plan of restoration, he is introducing a family who will, whose Yahuwah's intent is for them to be teachers, to bless other countries, bless other families through the laws and, Yahu, and the commandments of Yahuwah. And this became more structured when they became a nation. This is why the covenant was revealed to Moses. So basically, all the way to Moses, the covenant, its purpose was to show the world the standard of holiness that people must strive to achieve for them to become worthy before Yahuwah, right? But of course, because of human failures and weaknesses, we cannot do that. And so what we need is a new heart and a new way. And that new way was ushered when Yahushua came and he was sacrificed and by his shed blood, we had a new covenant. And so it actually begins with eight, right? Yahusha begins there at eight, but he's not finished. And eventually, Yahusha would return to earth, become a king. King of kings and lord of lords. He would fulfill the divinic covenant. And after fulfilling the divinic covenant, he will go to where? Jerusalem. Bring everyone, the remnants of Israel, the remnants of Judah. Bring all those who belong to Yahusha, and he will take them where? Jerusalem and the new temple will be built and who will God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled all that land right will be fulfilled when to fulfill the Palestinian covenant and so the work of Yahuwah's redemption is by revealing the standard of holiness and then giving us the means to achieve that holiness through who Yahusha and through Yahusha and his people and able to fulfill this holiness because we are in Yahusha now, guess what? We begin to establish a kingdom that will profess and model that holiness for the whole world because our king will be with us, sitting on his throne there in Jerusalem to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. But it all has to do with who? Yahusha. He is the solution for holiness to be achieved so that Yahuwah's plan when we were created
that we bear his image in holiness and love will be fulfilled throughout the earth during the millennial kingdom and ultimately and eventually in the new heavens and the new earth. This is why when Yahusha comes back and he is reigning as king of the earth, the Bible says, you know, there shall be worship from Sabbath to Sabbath. That's because when it comes to the Sabbath, it is part of the commandment written in stone tablets. It's commandment number four, right? If I'm not mistaken. And it is also the permanent sign between us and Israel. And we are Israel today. So it's a permanent sign. And because of that, we can expect during the millennial kingdom that Sabbath will be continuously in place as a way to please Yahuwah and also our King Yahusha. The only difference between the covenant, the new covenant and the first covenant is a change in the heart. But it's the same law. It's the same commandments. Difference, the old, it's written on tablets of stone. The new, it's written where? In the heart. So we have that desire to please Yahuwah Abba and Yahusha HaMashiach by obeying the law, by keeping the Sabbath, not by disregarding it. Okay? That is our lesson for today. Uh, let us all stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and gracious Abba in heaven, Yahuwah Almighty, thank you for blessing our Bible study this evening. Thank you for showing us your will and your desire. Help us, loving Abba, to do our best to please you by obeying your commandments through your son, Yahushua. We know, Father, that you have given us a standard of holiness. By ourselves, we cannot achieve this. But in your compassion, love, and mercy, you have given us your son. And so through him, we are able to receive your spirit that inspires and moves us to obey and to carefully carry out your teachings, your commandments, and your laws. Bless everyone here, Father, that we will be committed to you at all times in our life. Our King Yahushua, you are the promised seed. You are the Logos, the only one who became the true image of Abba. Help us to bear your image now. Help us to be a part of this master plan of salvation. Through you, help us to be your witnesses, to proclaim you to many people, that many can know about you, the work that you have done. But together, loving Mashiach, we can shine brightly before the earth, that more and more people will know you and the commandments of our Father. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each and every one of us here, for we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.